This is Monocle on Design, a show where we unpack everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Nick Manise. On today's show, we're taking a tour of Europe's most important fashion events. We'll stop in at Pitti Uomo in Florence and check in at Milan and Paris Fashion Weeks too. Plus, we'll head south to leaf through the pages of a new publication called Africa in Fashion. All that coming up on Monocle on Design. Hello and welcome to today's show where I'm joined in the studio at Midori House by Monocle's fashion editor, Natalie Theodosi. Welcome. Thank you, Nick. It's good to be seated in front of you this time. Well, it's not. It is nice to have this because I feel like I haven't seen you in the office for weeks. Where Where have you been? Yes, I've been on a bit of a fashion tour, starting at PT in uh, in Florence, then to Milan Fashion Week, and it ended up uh, last Sunday at Paris Fashion Week. Okay, so a lot of frequent flyer miles, I'm hoping, and some nice hotels. Yeah, and the hotels, the food was all great, but I'm happy to be back at Midori House. Can I ask why Why are all these fashion weeks sort of back to back? Is that so that people like you can stitch together an itinerary or is this just a historic thing? It's always been a historic thing and the the idea behind it is to bring the industry together at uh, specific points in the year for designers to present their collections both to buyers and to press and uh, just people to get together. You've sort of touched on the significance of the events there, but why, I mean, for someone like myself, I'm not a designer or a, or a buyer, why should I be interested in, in what's happening in, in Milan and Paris and Florence? Well, I think we all wake up and wear clothes, so fashion is relevant to everyone. But at the same time, I think especially now that we are all in the process of changing our lifestyles after lockdown and uh, we want to dress up a little bit more, it's even more interesting to see uh, what designers are proposing and uh, to just think about renewing our wardrobes a little bit and get some ideas from those runways. At the same time, it's also quite interesting to, to see inside this creative's world. So almost just like you go and see an art exhibition, you can discover the stories behind their the clothes and also maybe just look into the locations that they choose. The um, the creativity of it all is, is really inspiring and stimulating. Can you tell me a little bit about Pitti Uomo in Florence first? Because we're going to dive into a clip uh, that you recorded there shortly. But I mean, what makes that particular event special? So Pitti Uomo is one of the most special menswear uh, trade fairs. It's, uh, I think this summer there were over 600 brands showing at the, um, at the fair and it was the first time that buyers from Japan and America as well as all over Europe could gather together. And it was just really interesting. The energy was incredible. Everyone was so happy to be back together and showing what they've been working on for almost two years now. And PT really does deliver in terms of craft. Uh, you get the best of tailoring, the best of menswear in general. And people are obsessive about detail, about fabric, uh, and really delivering really good quality, timeless clothing. So that's what the fair really stands out for. You always get three, two or three special guests at the fair who host catwalk shows and create a bit more of a spectacle, which is also really exciting. Well, that does sound amazing. I mean, I know you spoke to Silas Adler, the creative director of Soulland, who are a Danish brand that I'm particularly fond of. I've got got a few of their T-shirts that I I quite like and make me feel very good about myself. But uh, you had a chat with him. Can you tell me a little bit about 
what you spoke about and, and, and where you met him? So we met right before their show. Um, they were showing at the Teatro del Maggio, which is this modern building in Florence, one of the few more modern uh, buildings. And we sat at the at the amphitheater as the sun was setting. It was beautiful scenery. And uh, we spoke about uh, the brand coming to, to Florence for the first time. They're used to showing on home turf in Copenhagen usually and about his uh, 20th anniversary. So this was a big moment for the brand and he just spoke a little bit about everything that it meant to him and about the collection which was quite tongue-in-cheek and inspired by a friend, uh, the kind of friend that stirs trouble. When I do shows, I see it as like a, a combination of elements. Of course, like the, the visual language of the, of the location is important. The ambience, like how well the sound is at the location. Mm-hmm. I like to find a location where I can take over the location without putting anything in. Mm-hmm. And this really allowed me to do this because what I'm bringing is the clothing and the music, the ambience, you know. And I don't want to put anything in. I don't want to... I'm not strong in, like, doing, uh, like, installation or... I'm always looking for places that are sort of like speaking on their own. Um, and especially uh, especially with the location where, like the way that the models will walk, the whole concept is based on how the location is. Mm. Is that part also of your sustainable ethos and trying not to create too much waste? Yeah, but... Think about your resources? Yes, it is, but not like, not only as in like sustainable in the way of not creating waste, but also sustainable in the sense of like doing something that's visually clean. I mean, of course, the collection can go in like a ton of different directions, but if it's in a clean space, in a clean environment, then it creates like headspace, you know. When there's like a clean canvas, you can like put everything into it. People can experience it in a personal way, I think often, like they can turn it into their own. And I like that, you know. Tell me about the collection itself. Uh, what were the main references and did knowing that you're going to show it in PT influence you in any way? Actually, I, I started the collection so long ago, so mm. it wasn't there. And, and the way I normally work is that I have these uh, trilogies and I use that as a way to sort of like being able to work a little bit longer on the same story. So I don't have to like completely start over each season. So I have like a bigger theme and it's like always three collections that are linked to each other and then there's smaller stories within that theme. And this one is the first one in the trilogy. The trilogy I call it Brain House Inhabitants. This one is called Spring Devil. So it's basically like this imagination of a house. On each floor there is some kind of creature or persona that reflects a mental state. So this is the Spring Devil and for me that's like that energy can be a little bit rowdy and the one to like put you a little bit out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Is it quite a casual look? Is it more tailored this season? I mean, it's a little bit more uh, all over the place. It's a little bit more um, kissing in a way. Mm-hmm. So it's going from like more tailored stuff, like classic stuff to more tactile, more like very light fabrics, almost like transparent, flowy fabrics, classic technical nylons, mm. Gore-Tex products, stuff like that. So it's like really 
for me that's a little bit like going back to the spring there is like that sort of like energy that is like buzzing mm. and, and is that maybe how people want to dress they care less about rules and mix things up and mix genres up as well this is actually the first time that we're doing a collection that's like for lack of a better word that we that is gender free we have one collection and it's like men's and women's it's, it's the same collection we have a new sizing system we are going like from quite small sizing to quite big sizing mm -hmm. but it's the same products sometimes the challenge is to like fit it so it actually works on many different body types and I was saying like to someone like it I just want to create things it's not my job to like define who's gonna wear it and why that was Silas Adler of the brand Soulland speaking at Pity Warmer Now, Natalie, you're still with us. Where are we still going here. to next? I'm, I'm glad you're still here. Where, where are we going to next? Now we're off to Milan okay. for Milan Fashion Week. So this, this is obviously a, a city where people dress well on a day-to-day -day basis, but I, I imagine that, you know, during Fashion Week, it's, it's even more uh, beautiful and well put together. Is that, is that a fair assumption? That is a very fair assumption. And even though it was about 36 degrees in Milan, everyone still looked really elegant. I'm not sure how. Beautiful white linen suits, and they looked very elegant and carefree, even though it was boiling hot and we all wanted to jump in the pool. And you spoke to Keen Etro, uh, I'm assuming in a white linen suit, uh, of his namesake brand Etro. Uh, what did you guys talk about and, and I guess where were you? I mean, I've heard a little snippet and it was pretty noisy. So we were backstage a few moments before uh, his show was about to begin and it was a really emotional show uh, because it was his last one as creative director. He's going to take a step back and uh, hand in the creative reins to Marco De Vincenzo, who is a young up-and-coming Italian designer. So for him to be stepping back from his family business and to give creative control to someone else was a, a big moment. Uh, but yeah, as you said, he was backstage greeting people that he has known for years, saying his goodbyes. And as you said, he was in a linen suit barefoot and spoke about carefree fashion and uh, bohemian elegance. This collection, there's a new sensuality, a new erotism, which is quite unusual from my side. Even the, the music you will hear is by Talking Heads, and the title is Naked. So there's a strong sense of, of nakedness, you know, because I believe, for example, I'm, I'm now I'm barefooted because I think poetry is barefoot. It's the way you can feel, you know, the energy coming from below. And I must tell you, I came in with a pair of shoes, which I don't know where I throw them. And by taking my shoes off, I felt a reconnection because, of course, it's a very special day today. So also very emotional. You will see in the car walk, there's a lot of the guys barefooted with rings. So I played very much with jewelry for the feet. It's something I really felt for the first time, really stemming and gemming from below it, like flowers. The collection is about flowers and flowering. Etro is pure escapism. Etro is vacation in terms of vacant, in terms of void, in terms of absence of thoughts. It's what we need in order to refresh. Imagine a better world. We have to leave out all the news, we have to leave out because beauty is always around us. That's why poetry it was also for me a way to salute with the best that my family, with my sister, all the people working here and the way we've embraced nature. Let it flow 
through poetry. Since you're closing this chapter, what are you hoping for the next chapter for Etro now that yeah, a new journey is about the, to begin? Now we're here to, with a lot of experience because it's 40 years working in this field. So giving advice, I mean, there's time for everything. And this is time to give good advice. I Basically, with my sister and Jacopo, we have the knowledge of all the archive, all the story behind it. And there's this young guy, Marco, who I've seen his work six years ago, I met him before, who is really also fond of the history of the company and is going to disrupt it a bit, which I think is what we need and what I really am I'm, uh, eager to see. I want to see a, a change and I want to see him as a leader, one deciding everything from the shops to everything. So this is quite important. So we are there backing him to grow, be strong and, and win the race. Keen Etro there, outgoing creative director of Etro. We'll be right back after this. Tune in to Monocle on Culture, where we grill our panel of critics to get the inside line on the best in the world of film, music, art, literature and more. It's just got this synth section that kind of makes you want to swing through the saloon doors straight to the dance floor. I appreciate that some of the most brilliant art, most of it, grounds you in this moment and makes you confront it. With industry insiders and the odd bit of reportage too, it's bound to keep the most discerning of culture vultures very well fed. Why'd You Come In Here Looking Like That is a song that is absolutely going to make you want to put on a pair of tight jeans and go boot scooting, even if it's just in <laughs> your front room. Monocle on Culture, premiering Mondays at 20.00 London time here on Monocle 24 and available thereafter wherever you get your podcasts. So, Natalie, after a few weeks in Italy, you've jumped across to Paris for a little bit of a change, but also for that city's fashion week. Uh, how did it compare to Milan, and, and, and I guess how was it different from Milan? I think Paris, in terms of showmanship, uh, pulls out all the stops, and this time was particularly uh, strong because I think it was the first time the menswear industry was getting together, so the designers really... Uh, went the extra mile to host real spectacles. We went everywhere from uh, rooftops on top of uh, garages in Montmartre to the hills of the Sacre-Cœur, uh, where there was this beautiful show again at sunset, views of Paris, and everyone from uh, Catherine Deneuve to celebrity models walking and attending the show. And uh, it all ended uh, on Sunday evening with the Celine show, which uh, happened at the Palais de Tokyo, which is celebrating 20 years anniversary. And there was a commotion like I've never seen in my life uh, because of all the K-pop stars attending. So, yeah, Paris sort of was an amalgamation of all the optimism and the excitement that had been happening since PT started. And uh, we really saw big spectacles there. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very social and very spectacular. Uh, I know you spoke to the team at London-based boutique Browns while you were there. I mean, I want to ask, with so many different brands and, and buyers, what drew you to them in particular? I think the team at Browns is uh, really 
exciting what they're doing because they have a really nice way of balancing um, their relationships with, with bigger brands and also scouting, being the first to scout the younger talents as well. They're also really fun people to be around. So, yes, I joined them um, on a car ride between a Tom Brown show and um, another appointment. And we spoke about their highlights and how they feel about the return of Men's Fashion Week. Sensational. So working well on the move. We're going to hear from Ida Peterson, the Men's and Women's Buying Director, and Dean Cook, Head of Men's Buying, from Browns now. No one has done something digitally that can even remotely touch on a physical experience, especially when it's a strong show. Because I think part of the experience is the energy you feel from your fellow showgoers as well. Mm. And like when there is a really good, strong, you get that instant thing, you know that this is going to be a hit because you can feel the energy rising in the people around you. The things that you see around as well, the people you see in the showroom, and you can't start to sort of pull together like trend pieces. And we've been so reliant on just social media for so long. And it's a great tool for like educating Mm. yourself and research and everything else. But like physical people, like what are they into? It's it's just a different thing. Like you can't, you can't compete. Maybe one day, maybe there will be some fantastic, crazy that will blow our mind in Beijing. But at the moment, like the, the, the sort of, you know, like we talked about Dior, or like Mike's show, for example, and I think those like you walk into yeah. those venues and like even like the you know Givenchy show, like I mean we were blinded by the white thing, but like you, you walk into those things and this incredible like very carefully sourced like Soland, you know, yeah. etc. Like, how do you replicate that very digitally? Tough. Tough. And it doesn't engage you because you're sitting at home just looking at yourself. You're like, okay, but I think what do you e- think ev- everyone come out for this, didn't yeah. they? You know, it was the first time men's have really been yeah. back in market. Yeah. Which summertime, as well. everyone's here. But it is And it started pity. To, to Dean's point, because, like, the girls have been out for a while now, and we were, like, tired, but, like, everyone is, like, you're so tiring, you've forgotten how tiring it is. Yeah, you forget how late the dinners are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how much work you've got yeah. to do. So a venue or the people's reaction at a show can influence your decisions or how you buy? Or is it more still focused on the product? It definitely can. I mean, because at the end of the day, we might like something or not like something, but we're there to buy for the customer. So how the audience beyond just like the editors etc like how people are reacting social media impacts impressions how people talk about collection will will definitely influence and it should do because otherwise you're not a good buyer we're not buying what we love we're buying what our customer will be looking for but there's also a level of gut feeling obviously of what we think is going to work because also sometimes you go against something you're like actually do you know what no um, and they're not people are not playing it safe post-pandemic in terms of trends or what you're seeing designers offering on the catwalk? Yeah, no, we, we all play safe to a certain extent. We need that core, essential, whatever you'd like to call it, in our business. But I think now people are starting to get around, travel, go out, mm-hmm. go on holiday, you know, all of these things. I think you can experiment and push the boundaries a little bit. Dean Cook, Head of Men's Buying, and before that, Ida Peterson, Men's and Women's Buying Director of Browns. And my thanks to Monocle's fashion editor, Natalie Theodosi, for joining me in the studio. We'll be right back in just a moment. They say you host the Monocle Daily for two stints in your career, once on your way up and once on your way down. It's good to be back. 
The Monocle Daily is our early evening show, live from London and Zurich every weekday at 1800, that's 1900 CET. Join me and our expert panels as we review the day's events in Europe, follow developing stories in the Americas and welcome early risers in Asia and Australasia. The Monocle Daily also features reports and analysis from Monocle staff and correspondents around the world and a host of fresh features taking a wider, deeper or lighter look at the news. Join us for the Monocle Daily every weekday at 1800 London time, 1300 on the east coast of the United States, right here on Monocle 24. We turn our attention from the runway to the bookshelf now to leaf through the pages of Africa in Fashion. Published by Hachette, the book explores the craft cultures which have shaped fashion on the African continent for centuries, capturing the stories of contemporary brands and designers in the process. We hear now from its author, based in Cape Coast, Ghana, Ken Kwiku Nemo. Here, he talks about the history of a special fabric, the kente cloth. The masterfully woven kente cloth is one of the most beautiful, intricate, and fascinating textiles of West Africa, specifically of the Ashanti Kingdom and other regions around Ghana. The kente cloth was formerly woven by unraveling textiles that were imported into the forest region of Ghana and were primarily made from silk cloth that were imported through the trans-Saharan trade. It happens to be one of the most prestigious textiles worn by distinguished personalities and also for distinguished events and continues to be one of the enduring symbols of identity and culture in most parts of West Africa and in other parts of the world. The study on kente in Africa begins with an interesting myth. Some Ashanti hunters discovered the technique for weaving. Whilst they were on a hunting expedition, they found the spider called Anansit weaving the spider's web. That is where the technique was acquired. The craft evolved through the interaction of the 18th century Ashanti kingdom with other parts of the world to trade. It's woven on a loom, basically a rudimentary loom that has not evolved much for, I would say, close to a century. And yet, the weavers are able to produce some of the most intricate, beautiful designs. Kente is a textile that speaks to the evolution of African society, especially in West Africa, specifically the Ashanti Kingdom, where the types of kente that a person could wear was determined by their rank in society. You could, for example, be banned, subject to very tough punitive measures just for wearing a kente cloth that did not belong to your class. And so it is something that has really, really evolved 
Today, the Kente cloth is worn and used mostly by Ghanaians in a lot of Africans in the diaspora as a form of celebrating their identity and their connection to the continent. Today, weavers have access to different kinds of materials in producing kente. So instead of, for example, relying on the silk fabrics, these days they use rayon threads. The textile itself has been reinterpreted and has been produced in formats that has, to some extent, democratized access where we have textile mills that are able to produce printed versions of the kente cloth, making them much more accessible in terms of price to the wider populace, making them also more versatile in terms of the manner in which they can be used. Traditional kente is heavy, not that much amenable to making certain kinds of cloth or certain kinds of dresses. However, the printed ones are more versatile and can be put to use in that manner. The kente cloth has been an excellent medium for a lot of designers. Generation Couture, a cohort of designers that emerged just when most of the continent gained its independence. Their names such as Kofi Ansan, Shade, uh, Thomas Farm, Chris Seydu, who took upon the responsibility to not just preserve these crafts, but also to elevate them into a status of icons. It is interesting how a lot of contemporary designers are not only just taking what exists in the traditions of most of these African countries, but are placing onto it their own twist. Creating, I would say, more versatile forms, pieces that are more comfortable. There is a designer called Kente Gentleman who happens to be doing something really interesting using diverse patterns woven entirely in Kente for suits. It's literally a renaissance, one that I say has been built decades on the efforts, on the mission that was established by the pioneering designers. Not to forget the recent, may he rest in peace, uh, Virgil Abloh's representation on the, I think it was the fall winter uh, 2020, for Louis Vuitton's menswear, where he put the kente once again on the international stage, further elevating the kente and making it something that a lot of people, both Africans on the continent and the world around and other parts of the world would be proud of and would aspire to have. Africa has always been in fashion, 
both in the context of a continent that has been extremely relevant, either as a source of material or as uh, the destination for finished goods. However, the continent has been largely on the periphery of the global economy by way of manufacturing or by way of actually contributing and shaping the trajectory of fashion around the world. And that is what is changing. Today, a lot of distinguished brands have entered into spaces that were, I would say, out of bounds. Imani AEC has shown twice at the Haute Couture in Paris, the Federation de la Haute Couture, as a main designer two consecutive times. And these speak to the tenacity and the creativity of African designers, which is shaping and transforming not only how African fashion is seen around the world, but also the other aspects such as production and how it is impacting economies on the continent. Author Ken Kwiku Nemo there. Africa in Fashion is published by Hachette and available to purchase now. And that's all for today's show. For more design stories, listen to our five-minute midweek bonus show, Monocle on Design Extra, which airs on Thursdays. Or, if you prefer print, then pick up a copy of Monocle magazine on all good newsstands now. Today's show was produced by Charlie Phil McCourt and Maylee Evans, who also edited the show with help from Chris Ablaqua. I'm Nick Manise, and you can reach me at nm at monocle.com. Thanks for listening.